Welcome to T-Hangs for the Memories. I am your host, Darren. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the conclusion of the perfect trilogy, Toy Story 3. Uh, and joining me to talk about it, returning from Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2, we have Andrew and Kestra Dorowski. Hello. Hello. Hi. So, well then, let's jump into the first trilogy that Pixar ever did uh, with Toy Story 3. Uh, as is tradition now, we open with an extremely crazy sequence. Um <laughs> What I what I love about these opening sequences, um, well, what I like about Andy's imagination is he's able to imagine everything except that Woody is not a cowboy. Woody has to be a cowboy, and everything else has to fit around that. So obviously, Ham is a piggy bank, but in this, he's like evil, you know, Mister Evil Doctor Porkchop, um, and he has a gigantic spaceship and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, so he's not playing his role as being like a. But, but Woody still has to be. Um, and Jesse, of course, now and Bullseye, they still have to kind of be their their own ca- the characters that are established, yeah. and 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 everybody else, you know, it, like Mister and Missus Potato Head can be evil villains, and you know, like everyone else can be different, but you know, it's fixed that basically Woody is always a sheriff, and I I just kind of I kind of like I kind of like that that's the thing that always connects it is like Andy insists that Woody is the sheriff, like that's his role, he can't be any other role. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, this opening sequence is, uh, I mean, I, I remember watching it at the cinema and just being like, it's the d- amount of detail is insane. Like that, the, just the, the lattice in on the bridge, mm. you know, when you see the, the train come around and then the barrels of monkeys, when they explode into like a, a like a, 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 you know, like a nuclear cloud, it's like, it, it's just insane. Like every, every part of it is, is, and it's only like the opening, like, you know, five minutes. Um, but there's so much detail in here and, um, you know, just like the way the way it kind of plays into the idea of like at every turn something is happening um, that is triggered by something else. And then, you know, there's like it's constant twists. Um, you know, in particular, I love the shot where we see all the trolls that are on the train and uh, Buzz goes, uh, sorry, Woody goes, the orphans. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> yeah. I, I love the sequence. I think it it is i don't it delivers on something that i didn't know i wanted yeah um after after like the first film and it starts out and there's just like cardboard boxes and everything it's it's like we're inside the imagination and it's so much more detailed and refined and it it has so many more elements to it um, that make it richer and and the way they animate it they give it a texture that, like there's a texture to the lighting there's a texture to the sky and everything that feels like it's imagination you know, it's stylized in a in a certain way. It's not as realistic as, as, for example, Good Dinosaur. Like the landscapes and the sky and stuff in Good Dinosaur, is intended to be kind of photorealistic. And this is like, no, it's still, it's it's still fake. You know, like this is not a, a, a hyper realistic, you know, map yeah. of the canyon and yeah. everything. But it feels also so good yes. <laughs> to be in it. It. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's it's fantastic sequence. I I love the the energy that it has and the the texture of the animation and the light and um and also this is like the most refined we've ever seen these characters at this point. You know, if it's 10 oh, yeah. years of animation history since the last one, you know, like everything is going to look so much better, more fluid, the the detail in the animation, the detail in, in fabric and wood grain and all that sort of stuff is going to be so different. And so seeing 
that brought into the film, I think, in an imagination sequence, is a good choice, rather than having that jarring experience of being like, oh, but, like, why does the bedroom look different? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I like as well, I mean, I do like when they say it's evil Dr. Porkchop, and he goes, that's that's evil Mr. Dr. Porkchop to you. (laughs) Just, like, those weird kind of, like, details. Uh, and then, like the barrel, the barrels of monkeys, like as bombs, is just mm-hmm. such a like all those the kind of I don't I got I I'm guessing that probably took like weeks to render because it's just so many like every single one of those tiny little monkeys is doing something as it explodes, and then they kind of like uh, grab you know um, you know uh, like Jesse and Bullseye and Buzz and stuff, and it's like it's it's in, it's insane like just the amount of detail that's in there. Um, and there is that moment, of course, where the tra- where the br- the bridge explodes with way too much TNT on it. Just get another detail where it's like that would literally destroy the entire of that valley, like the amount of TNT that's <laughs> on there. Um, but once the like as the as the train goes over the bridge while Woody's trying to save it, obviously, then you know that moment where Jesse and Bullseye are kind of thinking that Woody might be dead. Uh, obviously, that is you know kind of foreshadowing for what will happen later. Um, but I like that kind of buzz, you know, he he flies up and he's like, you know, with, with his pun of like, you know, I'm glad I was able to catch the train. Like that kind of, just that, like those kind of little details, like that is kind of some of the kind of silly jokes that like a kid would make, um, you know. And this, of course, leads us to, we come out of that fantasy and we see that it is still cardboard boxes that Andy's playing with, you know, just with stuff drawn on them, um, you know, for, for Dr. Porkchop's, um, you know, his his spaceship um and this of course then brings in the classic uh you know you've got a friend in me um and we see that andy's mom is as all adults were in the you know 80s 90s early 2000s not able to figure out how to operate a camcorder um not realizing when it's on and obviously the kids don't want to be filmed um and and you know this we then this allows us to kind of get reintroduced to the family um <clears throat> including obviously uh his sister um is it molly is his sister yes they confused me by having molly and bonnie in the same film um <laughs> you know there's a lot of people with y at the end of their names with andy and woody as well like you know um and so yeah we we, we get like you know her entering as like a toddler and of course instead of it ruining his play he actually kind of incorporates it um sharon of course that andy is you know a good kid you know he's not just gonna like i don't know punch his his sister and get her out the room or something like he's actually just gonna play with her um that's and... a, that's important you like you've gotta you yeah. gotta think of andy as like this is a good kid yeah <laughs> otherwise yeah. there's a lot of this film where you're gonna be like well i don't really care about andy yeah <laughs> and you need to care just enough mm-hmm. yeah and I th- i think again like you know they they've gradually got to the point where humans don't look terrifying uh, in terms yes. of Pixar, as they kind of were in the first and second films. Not the second film, maybe not quite as much, but obviously the storylines in the first and second films minimize the amount of adults that, or children that needed to be in the film. Um, and I think they're still kind of doing the same thing here. You know, there's still less interaction with adults. Uh, but obviously when it comes to the kids, you know, there's a lot more of kids as we get to, you know, uh, Sunnyside later on. So th- they've managed to get the animation to the point where they aren't just a bunch of... Uh, crazy clones of Andy and they are actually all individual children um, and and you know that improvement allows this story to kind of work a bit more because we are getting a bit more interaction with children playing with the toys whereas in the previous films it was always the case that the children had gone out of the room and that's why we were with the toys like you know it was it was almost ne- like necessary for them to not be there um, 
for the story to make sense but then of course their purpose in life is to be played with so there's only so much of that you can do with before it stops making sense um and of course uh to make us all instantly cry uh you've got a friend in me slows down and freeze frames and then we have the words and as the years go by uh echoing in our heads as we uh are introduced to the current day and we find out that andy is 17 and he's going to be leaving for college very soon and he's got some choices to make in terms of what he's going to college and what he's going up into the attic and uh, what he's going into the trash uh and i what i like about this is this kind of establishes i mean there's some things that obviously have happened in the previous films like people for some reason even though woody is meant to be their leader they don't trust woody when he says stuff and that seems to be a running theme um he would try to reassure them of stuff and they'll kind of trust him and then the second there's even a tiny little bit of doubt they'll all turn on him instantly um and you know that that kind of happens again here where um you know we have this operation where they're trying to bait andy into playing with the toys and so they kind of they 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 call his mobile phone and it rings and you know it turns out it's in the toy box and you know they're hoping that when he sees the toys he'll want to play with them but instead he just leaves the room um and you know they kind of they have to face the fact that you know andy is no longer going to play with them and they're you know they're probably going to be going up to the attic uh, and I like how um, in his final appearance, Arlie Ermey is back as the uh, the sergeant of the toy soldiers. And he says, and I don't think this is true. Certainly it wasn't true in my case, where he's like, you know, of all the toys to kind of be put in the trash, the toy soldiers are first. Um, and I certainly didn't have to do that. I had like a couple of hundred toy soldiers and um, I, I didn't throw them in the trash. I, I, I liked my toy soldiers. So, um, you know, they decide they're out of there and uh, they, they've all got little parachutes and they jump out the window. Um, and I, I think it's funny because then, you know, Woody is like, you know, gather everybody up and basically Slinky's like, we're all here. Like, you know, this toy room used to be a lot fuller with, you know, um, all, all the different toys and basically now they're they're already assembled um you know it only takes them like two seconds uh and i i thought that was kind of you know obviously they they talk about the people that they've lost and i think it's kind of funny it's like yeah this is what we're down to is you know just the potato heads and you know rex and ham and you know even they mention obviously that um bo peep is gone but bo peep wasn't his toy it was his sister's toys <laughs> like wasn't yeah, really his choice to get rid of Bo-, Bo Peep like don't blame Andy for that they they kind of don't talk much about the toys that are still in the house but not in the room yeah yeah because there's surely some of the toys that are still in the house and just not in Andy's room I mean they don't well, talk about Barbie very much do they talk about Barbie when they're in the chest I don't or, I don't think so. So, like, Molly's, Molly's they, still, no, you know, a, a younger kid. She's a teenager, but, you know, she's younger and surely has some of the toys yeah. around. But then there are a lot of the toys. You know, Mr. Spell, probably not even in the house anymore. <laughs> and and so you've got a lot of things where it's like, oh, yeah, where did they go? And and so, we, but we got to move on with the story. And so they don't, like, spend a lot of time. They just kind of establish, like... What is the crew that we're dealing with? This is this is you know the real, you know, top top tier crew. This is the group that you know went looking for Woody, and and all that sort of stuff. And so you get a, a clear sense of like, okay, who are we actually dealing with for our story? Um, and they and then they they move on from it quickly enough that if we weren't like talking about it for the podcast, I wouldn't <laughs> be thinking about, hey, wait, where is Mister Spell? Mister Spell's part of the thing. Where's that? Where's that yeah. snake? Where's the robot? Yeah. Um, yeah. Where 
Well, I mean, they they mentioned Wheezy because obviously he had a, a key role in the last film. Like they, you know, Robert Goulet was his singing voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. Robert Goulet. And we should mention, of course, the voice of Slinky has changed. It was previously Jim Varney. Uh, in this film, it is now uh, Blake Clark, veteran of many Adam Sandler films. Um, although I think probably my favorite role of his uh, in, in regards to Adam Sandler is um, in Waterboy, where he plays the the guy that nobody can understand <laughs> and he kind of talks with a very uh, very kind of muffled southern accent and just kind of says stuff and people just laugh at him because they have no they have no idea what earth he's talking about um but i think he does a good job of of kind of imitating what jim varney was doing with slinky so mm-hmm. you know yeah. he doesn't he doesn't feel missed um yeah well, so... and because they introduce so many other characters uh, some of this core cast they don't have a ton of lines throughout it oh no so he's he's kind of benefited from that as well yeah um but i I think that the interesting thing of course is slinky you know in the first two films was very much um kind of like andy's uh right hand man before buzz arrived like he was the one because of obviously what he could do is you know with the stretching out and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. you know he was kind of the one who would kind of pass messages on to the rest of the toys and stuff um so obviously they had to kind of keep him I yeah, feel. like you can't get rid of him because because there no. is clearly a, a friendship between him and Woody. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think, like I said, I think Blake Clark does a, a good job of kind of uh, replacing Jim Varney in that way. Um, yeah, so their mom sets up some boxes. Uh, you know, some stuff's going in the trash. I like how she demonstrates it by picking stuff up as she goes around Andy's room. <laughs> She's like, "This goes in the attic. This is going to be donated, and this goes in the trash." When she picks up the, like the the apple core, um, and she kind of insists that Andy kind of you know gets around doing stuff. I think it's interesting because obviously she said you know she's like, "Here's a box for like um, stuff that's going to go to college." Um, she doesn't. I don't think she does put. She doesn't put a box out for the attic, does she? Um, so she's obviously expecting Andy would do that. And then when she goes into um, Molly's room, she gives her a box as well for stuff that needs to be donated to Sunnyside. Um, and immediately, you know, we, we find out that from a magazine that she is reading, uh, Molly is a tween because she's reading tween magazine. And um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a quick way to establish that. But I thought that was funny. That's like literally a magazine called tween magazine. And she is indifferent to Barbie and she just drops her in the donation box. Um, and that's it, you know, like, I mean, what's funny, of course, is the, the amount of trouble that Pixar took to get Barbie into into the films, um, you know, particularly with you know, obviously being rejected from Toy Story and then obviously getting her into Toy Story 2. Um, and I think uh, it's kind of almost a little commentary of how quickly she's, <laughs> she's discarded at the start of the film. She will, of course, have a larger role as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and obviously will be voiced uh, once again by Jodie Benson, uh, who everyone, of course, remembers as Ariel. Uh, from The Little Mermaid. Um, and also she was in Enchanted as, I think, Patrick Dempsey's receptionist. Uh, yes. She had like, yeah, yeah. So I love Enchanted, a great film. Uh, I'm not sure what the sequel's going to be like coming out on Disney Plus later on this year, but, you know, we'll have to watch it and see. Um, and this, of course, is where the toys turn against Woody again because <laughs> they, I I don't know what... They're, they so they flip-flop so often. Uh, obviously Woody is definitely going to college like that is the box that he is destined for um, Andy being extremely lazy rather than getting a box and writing attic on it he just piles all the toys into a bag and they instantly think that's it they're going out to the trash um, and obviously as a viewer we're left to think for a, you know a few seconds that that's what's going to happen but then Andy pulls down um, the, the stairs to the attic and they're going up to the attic which is obviously where they you know they were they, they thought they would end up 
Um, uh, except, of course, as Andy is going to put them in the attic, he leaves the bag in the middle of the uh, landing and his sister um, distracts him. And when his mom walks past, she just thinks it's a bag that's going to go out with the trash. And so that is what she does with the bag. Uh, once again, Andy's the toys... fault. It's all yeah, Andy's the toys... fault. <laughs> the toys immediately stop blaming Andy. And I... I, I I do find it funny that this is always what happens in all three films. Is the second something even goes just the tiniest bit wrong, they immediately start blaming everyone, turning on on everyone. Um, and you know, Woody obviously knew what their true destination was, so he does what he did in Toy Story two, and he he wolf whistles to call Buster in. But obviously, uh, to make everyone feel extremely old, Buster is now geriatric and ba- can Buster, barely move. Um, I, and this is maybe my least favorite thing in this movie. It's Buster <laughs> coming in so old. I'm like, oh no. He's an old dog he's worn out mm-hmm. yeah and and the thing is he was the climax of the first film wasn't it like they mm-hmm. them getting a puppy was like the the so you know we saw him as a puppy who was very energetic in toy story 2 um and obviously ignored any instructions from andy but obeyed the instructions from the toys um so yeah he ends up rolling like woody <laughs> ends up being crushed by the dog basically and has to kind of roll him over to get uh, to escape from underneath him uh, and then he grabs some scissors he sees where the where the toys have been put on the side of the road and he kind of um you know swings down the drain pipe falls into some bushes i like that he kind of cuts himself a little peephole in the bushes so he can see what's going on with the scissors mm-hmm. um again just wonderful details um you know from, from from everything that's going on here and inside the bag the the toys are trying to get out but you know obviously you can't really if you're a toy you can't really tear through um actually there's some there's some issues with what the toys can do here that kind of like woody can fall and not feel any pain and the toys can't get out of a plastic bag but later on woody will literally hold a door open and he's which i'm thinking would have pushed on him and crushed him but you know um yeah so it, the, the physics of it are not completely clear but they can't get out of the bag obviously uh woody runs past as as the the uh the you know the the garbage truck approaches um woody runs to the the two bags and he he slashes them very quickly with the scissors uh, both of which turn to have rubbish rubbish in they get thrown onto the garbage truck and obviously uh woody has the moment where he thinks the toys have basically been crushed inside uh the garbage truck once again foreshadowing for mm-hmm. later on um and but it turns out the toys have done their old trick of hiding underneath something and walk in using it um you know as a as a disguise and they did that with the recycling box and so they've they've run into the garage um, and they think obviously that you know andy has basically put them out with the trash and they're all immediately turning on andy and they they've, they've come up with a plan to get into the donation box and go to a place where they will have children that will play with them um and Woody cannot convince them, no matter how much he tries to tell them that they were destined for the attic. He cannot convince them to come back. Like nobody is listening to him. Um, not Jesse, not Bullseye. And we would expect Buzz would be on his side, but of course he isn't. And Buzz is like, nope. You know, we we're gonna go to Sunnyside. You know, we're gonna go where to where we can be played with by kids. Um, and, and I think some and- of this is. It, it's also not just that they thought that they were being put out to the trash but even if they were going to go to the attic that's not optimal for them no they're not going to be played no. with for years like uh, like obviously if they were put in the attic it's because Andy wants like them for the future yeah like, he wants to hang on to them maybe probably for his kids and so eventually they would get played with but like they'd be up there for years for a long time and so so getting donated is probably best case scenario yes 
I think it's interesting as well because when they when they're resigned to their fate, uh, there is a line where Rex and Ham are like, "Let's go on eBay and see how much we can be sold for." <laughs> Which um, <laughs> I guess is kind of a little bit of a callback to the second film, where you know, obviously, that was going to be the fate of uh, of you know uh, Pete the Prospector and, and everybody else. They were going to go to Japan for a lot of money. Um, I'm not sure that like uh, you know that that T Rex would fetch that much on eBay. eBay, if I'm honest, <laughs> like probably, probably, probably not. not. Yeah, uh, and certainly not like a a pig. Um, it's just bank. a piggy bank. It's just a plain yeah. old piggy bank. They have cool piggy banks that aren't just now, it's, pigs. It is like a quintessential like think of a piggy bank. You think of ham. You know, yeah, he is yeah. the exact shape that piggy bank should be, um, kind of thing. But still, it's like yeah. But there's a there's hundreds of millions of piggy banks and like potato heads. Those aren't going to be that much either on ebay like there's there's a lot of newer potato heads out yeah. there like yeah. oh a 20 year old potato head like if, <laughs> if any of those toys were going to be worth something it'd be like woody and jesse and, and probably, probably not buzz probably not he's, buzz because he's he not like, like he's it's not like he's in mint condition either yeah but like i mean yeah. Not only that, but like Buzz was like the best-selling toy for a number of years. So there mm-hmm. are millions of that guy out there. He's yeah. there's no way he's worth anything. Um, maybe yeah, so maybe in the packaging like a Star Wars toy. Maybe yeah, but obviously his packaging was immediately damaged the second it was yeah. open. Yeah, <laughs> so, torn torn apart. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously they, Woody just cannot say to them, you are wanted by Andy, even if that means being stuck in the attic for 20 years until Andy's got kids of his own. Um, and so that's it. They're, you know, I, But what I find is interesting is I said, Woody's like, okay, I'll come along and I'll show you that, you know, being donated to a place where this, you, you don't have an owner is not a good thing and you don't want that. <laughs> and I would think Jesse would be on his side because obviously we, we heard her traumatic story in the last mm-hmm. film. So why is she not on the side of being played with by a specific kid? She's kind of given up on that, I guess. Well, I think um, probably she's, trauma. she's also like very much not attic. But yeah, I mean, she doesn't oh, no. want to be left in a box. She's and... been through a donation experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like she got left in a donation pile. Yeah. And so there's, I, there's I... trauma with, but, with, but, with being but a left different kind of donation. Pile, and and, and yeah. trauma with, uh, being put in the attic in, in a mm. box or in a bag like it there's just i feel like a lot of trauma with jesse and so she's like i'll go wherever everyone else like, is where going i'm gonna not be in a box yeah and where i know <laughs> what's going on yeah uh we see that in reception there is a child sitting on the reception desk i don't know why she's get. i don't know why she gets this treatment to be honest with you i'm not sure why <laughs> bonnie gets a, is allowed to just sit out there while all the other kids i mean she's got like a, a plaster on her, her leg so maybe she's done something where she's hurt herself and that's why. But, I, I'm, you know, she seems to be allowed to do whatever she wants, um, whereas the rest of the kids kind of, you know, follow the rules. Um, and we arrive at the butterfly room, which will be uh, quite important in terms of um, what happens to these toys. And, of course, this is where we meet uh, Lotso, uh, who um, uh, smells of strawberries, uh, which <laughs> which is it's weird because I'm sure I, I don't think there was ever a bear that smelled of strawberries, but I'm sure there were some like dolls in the 80s that smelled of strawberries. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it's obviously a, a kind of a reference to that. Uh, he gets driven in and he's walking with a stick, which I don't understand how that works for a toy. I know he's old, <laughs> but Woody is older than all of these toys. Woody is from like the 1950s. He's like almost pushing 60 in this film. 
So why is Lotso, a toy who is probably barely at this point 20 years old, walking with a stick? Um, I think it's just an affectation, but, uh, you know, it just makes him look a bit more friendly, I guess. Um, You know, and of course, we get the introduction of our Batman in this. Michael Keaton is Ken, uh, probably... I don't know. Aside from his role in the other guys where he plays a police captain who keeps quoting TLC, um, maybe this is his top three roles. Uh, Ken, <laughs> Batman, and I mean, like, like it, the way that he, like, they wanted to apparently have Ken in, in the previous films as well, but they, again, there were some issues with getting him. And so here they take full advantage of the fact that um, I'm not there, but the, like this Ken is like not just like Ken, but he's specifically a Ken from like the 70s who... yeah like has this very specific kind of aesthetic and he's not like whatever the modern ken was you know in in 2010 um you know he's he's like clearly a callback and yeah, obviously it's like, like a seven, inter- 70s or 80s ken like it's yeah. a fashion heavy gotta have the outfits i mean he was donated so who knows how old he is yeah <laughs> yeah and i i also don't know how he's managed to get a hold of all these outfits like who is all which the donations kid is, well i guess yeah i mean maybe every, every year yeah, so I mean, people are just donating Ken outfits, but no Kens. There should be like an army of well, Kens at this point. Well, not to spoil uh, some things, maybe they have been donating Kens, and, and something's been happening. <laughs> yes, that is a possibility. Uh, yeah, so I, Michael Keaton is just fantastic in this. Like he just, like he manages to make um, as as he's as he's labelled later on, well groomed man. Um, he manages to make Ken like extremely kind of vain and everything, but like. The connection he has with Barbie, where like they instantly, you know, to to Dreamweaver, uh, they instantly kind of fall in love. Um, and before before the kind of the, the 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 meet and greet is concluded, he's basically invited her to live with him uh, in his dream home, uh, which I I kind of love. Um, but yeah, we also have Big Baby in here, and we also have uh, Chatter Telephone, uh, who of course will both um, become important to the plot later on. Uh, Woody keeps painting it as like this is going to be a terrible place. You're not going to like it. And then of course, uh, you know they they see the kids in the butterfly room playing with the toys, and they're like, no, we like we want to stay here. We definitely don't want to go. Apart from of course Bullseye, who is loyal to Woody, and Woody has to kind of basically make him stay behind with everybody else like you know he doesn't want him to go to the attic by himself um you know uh and that's it woody has you know decided that he's he's gonna he's gonna go back to andy um and what i again like you know the door is open uh by someone and woody holds the door open before he leaves which again <laughs> I, like that door would have just crushed him straight away like the, there's no way he could have held the door open. but you know it gives him a nice moment before he goes um he escapes by holding on to the bottom of the uh, janitor's trolley he get the janitor though doesn't go out he goes to the toilets um which this might be the first time we've ever seen toilets in a pixar film uh if i'm honest with you i don't think we've uh we've we, ever seen them before monsters inc there's a oh yes yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah there is yeah when they, they hide in the different toilets yeah, uh, and... th- those are monsters. Those are monster toilets. Though. These are real, toilets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, real people. Human so. toilets, like yeah. I think maybe uh, I know toilets are referenced in Finding oh, Nemo. Finding Nemo, I, I think we, we see, see him yeah. go to the toilet, yeah. and I think we see the toilet, but yeah, we don't talk go about into getting the flushed, bathroom. Getting yeah. flushed out to the ocean. Uh, and I, I like, I like. I mean, you know, the animation here is. I, I, you know, we can't say much about how how much they progressed from Toy Story Two. This entire escape is just insane. 
um you know obviously woody puts like a little tiny square of toilet paper onto the toilet seat before he climbs onto it <laughs> um and then he you know he stands onto the toilet roll but obviously the, the toilet roll is not going to stay still with his weight on it and we get this wonderful sequence where he like his legs are going really really fast as the toilet roll is coming down and then he's like trying to grab his hat and there's like this kind of pose where he's like holding on to the, the you know the, the thing and balancing on the toilet roll with the hat in his hand and then he quickly goes to the wall and it's just amazing the way that they kind of it also emphasizes the fact that woody you know seems to be able to just climb up and down things without any effort um, a lot, a lot I guess of climbing in the sequence yeah i guess because he's maybe it's because he's a um you know he's like a stuffed toy so he's a lot lighter than the other toys again mm-hmm. he shouldn't have been able to hold open that door then um you know <laughs> he's got no weight to him so but i do like how kind of graceful he is and then there's the moment with in the mirror where like we think the guy has seen woody but it's just like a stain on the wear and when he wipes it woody's gone um up onto the roof where he's trying to find a way to get out of there and then of course he sees a kite um and then he flies on the kite um again you know falling in style rather than flying and uh, a, a gust of wind catches him and he kind of ends up going off course um and then it breaks and we get this like sequence where he's kind of almost trying to flap the kite like wings um and of course he ends up you know getting stuck in a tree losing his hat and um his pull cord i get like there's like almost like a the kind of you know mission impossible one moment where he almost hits the floor and then he kind of slowly goes up as his pull cord uh is it is this where it says there's a snake in my boot um I can't, I can't remember which phrase it says yeah I, but a phrase but it said as yeah, he it, it ascends, retracts basically. And, and says the yeah. phrase and he's kind of stuck halfway up um, and then this is when Bonnie bumps into him. Like, literally, she just bumps straight into him. Um, and, of course, being a child, if you see a toy for free out in the world, you just grab it and put it in your backpack. There's no questions asked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, before before anyone else sees you, you just quickly throw it in there. Um, and, you know, Woody, obviously his escape has not kind of, you know, um, worked out. Um, and But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of call back in on him later because we're more concerned now with what's happening with Andy Toys. Um, because recess is over and um you know the welcome committee has left and we see that the toys you know they're all excited to be played with and so they're in the middle of the caterpillar room i guess not realizing where they are because this is obviously for i'm guessing like three and four year olds yeah um, uh, seems to be uh, the probably range. even like two and three like younger yeah oh, okay yeah i would i um, would say I mean, this is a daycare so it's not like they're separated uh, entirely for for schooling purposes but mm. so this is for play uh so you can have a variety of ages so this is probably two to three or one to two yeah the kids we see in this daycare are probably between two and four years old yeah, um, yeah. for the most part because because most daycares aren't really handling kids older than four um or, or much five. older than five. Four, yeah. four and five would be kind of the max you'd see in a lot of daycares. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say if they're going to have it split into two areas, it's like the two and three-year-olds and then the four and five-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. And so we find out that Andy's toys are in the wrong place at the wrong time because the rest of the toys that are in this room know that this is the time to hide when resource is <laughs> over. And and we see kind of the realization on Buzz's face as he he looks around and sees all these other toys running away. And he's like, oh, we're there. What's happening? And just as he realizes what's happening and is about to warn everybody else, uh, Rex is running up to the door, like, screaming about how he's happy to be played with. And the door opens and all the kids run in and they basically 
you know, their their idea of play is not what Andy does, where he has you know some gentle imagination. It's him. It's the toys basically being licked and smashed and hit and. Uh, you know, this There's sequence some, is some raw, rough playtime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what I like about this is like kind of the traumatization that happens to the toys <laughs> as all of this is going on. Is like the toys obviously cannot. They can, they just have to stay as toys. They they can't express anything. You know, they can't do what they did to Sid in the first one and like scare the kids. They have to basically just stay as toys. And the kind of blank expressions on their faces as kids are like hitting them against stuff and licking them and um, smashing them into things uh, is kind of funny. Just like how they they can't do anything; they just have to be toys, um, you know. And obviously, they're not happy once <laughs> once once playtime is over. Um, you know, uh, I is it? Uh, I think Ham has got like someone's like scribbled something on Ham, and it's there for the rest of the film, basically mm-hmm. like the graffiti on him. Um, yeah. So whatever they were worth before, they're definitely worth less on eBay now. <laughs> after this play session um but yeah we then find out what the truth is about sunnyside um yeah which so is, so the way we get to this right like buzz is acting as the the advocate and he's gonna go investigate everything so clearly there's a mistake we should be in the other room in the in the nice room yeah which it makes them feel a little entitled yeah it, it does make these toys feel a little out of touch it's like Clearly, there's a mistake. This is we should not be in this room with with these younger kids. We should be in the nice room. Yeah, uh, yeah. There is very much a wanting to talk to the manager uh, situation <laughs> that is going on with Buzz. Uh, but we, I mean, I think what's weird is, of course, you, you would feel that, but then straight away you find out that basically Sunnyside is run like a prison <laughs> with Lotso as the person in charge. And then Ken and uh, the octopus and some of the other toys, uh, Chunk and Sparks and Twitch, these various other kind of like toys are generic kind of like sci-fi villain toys, <laughs> it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are all kind of, I mean, almost looks like they should be in He-Man, basically. That's, those what yeah. the villains look like. Um, they 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 are kind of in charge of keeping things in place, and of course uh, we will then also meet later on the monkey, um, who is extremely terrifying, um, you know. But yeah, like Buzz finds out that they're they're kind of they're deliberately keeping them um, in in the caterpillar room so that they kind of get destroyed and so that the other toys don't have to be destroyed. Uh, we get obviously uh, we find out that. Um, you know, Lotso comes in. Uh, we should say Ned Beatty, of course, doing the voice. Um, and it, like, the, uh, it's funny because like his first kind of interaction as Lotso, he is very much like you know, welcome to Sunnyside, and it's very kind of gentle and everything. Um, and then when he makes the turn here, where he's like, he's talking to Buzz, and he's like, yeah, of course you can come and play in the other room. And then when Buzz is like, I want to get all my friends. Um, you know, Lotso's like, no, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> like, you know, you can come along if you want. But we're going to have to leave the others to be destroyed. And obviously Buzz is like, you know, there is family. Um, and then that that's where we get the instant turn from Lotso where he's like, you know, give me the instruction manual. <laughs> basically, they they pry his back off and, and switch him to demo mode so that he'd be once again, for the third time in three films, we get... Gotta, gotta uh, have it. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear, factory reset. Um, you know, this time it's the same Buzz rather than being a second Buzz as it was in the last film. And so, you know, once I, I mean, the thing that kind of I mean, the first film obviously had the the, the realization, you know, the buzz was a toy uh, in the second film. You know, again, he like he went to rescue uh, Woody. Um, but then we had the addition of the second buzz. And, and then here they just factory reset him. And it feels like we're never going to make any progress with Buzz having a storyline of his own. <laughs> Apart from, of course, 
uh, once we get to the film Buzz Lightyear, which is coming out later this year at the cinemas. Um, yeah, I think we again, might get something. <laughs> yeah, it, we we never ever seem to get, any, and this even happens in the next Toy Story film. There's no real progress on Buzz Lightyear's character. He never he never has an arc after the first film. All the other characters seem to get little mini arcs and stuff. You know, even the potato heads, they get the kids. To, you know, in this film, we'll find out what happens with the kids later on. Like, there seems to be stuff happening for the other characters. Jessie, you know, she had a whole arc in the in the second film. And, you know, she mm-hmm. has a bit of an arc in this film as well. Um, you know, but for Buzz, we always keep having to go back to factory reset Buzz. Um, you know, which... Uh, we 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 also have the fact that Mrs. Potato Head, her one of her eyes has been missing, but it's still at the house, um, and she can close her one eye and see with the other eye, uh, which again it's a, I mean it's a nice little plot thing they've done it before it in the, in the previous great. couple of films yeah so it's it's a it's a good way for the toys to realise that Woody was correct because Andy is still looking for the toys. And, you know, he's got the attic door open and he's trying to find where the toys have gone. And this is, of course, when all the rest of the toys are like, oh, no, Woody was correct. And now that the kind of buzz comes back, um, you know, with uh, being factory reset and being put in charge of um, kind of, you know, policing the, the new toys. Uh, Barbie breaks up with Ken straight away, which, you know, is understandable because Ken's kind of in on it. Um, and we find out that, you know, for his insolence, Mr. Potato Head is going to be put in the box, um, <laughs> which is obviously the sandbox that's out in the in the playground. They um, they do a really good job with all of this because because like at this point, we basically have three different locations and we haven't we haven't talked about going back to, to Bonnie's house yet. But you have. Yeah you know, like three different locations where stuff's going on for Andy and that's relevant. And so you kind of have like a destination for the toys to go back to. It's like, we've got to get back to Andy. We were wrong, but then you've got Sunnyside and then you'll have Bonnie's place. And it's like, okay, there's multiple threads that are going on and we need to figure everything out. And then you have even within Sunnyside, a couple of different things going on simultaneously because you have buzz going to, to talk to Lotso and then the other toys realizing oh, we need to go back, but Buzz doesn't know, so they're waiting for Buzz to come back. And then Buzz becoming their jailer and and taking <laughs> yeah. over all of that. Um, like, they balance all of that really, really well and, and, like, tell the story of that really well so that you get a sense of, you know, what is the, the pace of this film? What is the trajectory for this film? And, you know, that's why it gets such good Rotten Tomatoes scores is they bring it all together and they move it along. Um, so nicely and you get like just the route the right amount of time usually in a certain scene or a certain setting um before resetting moving on you know getting to the next steps and i think i think this is one thing that this one does better than the other two toy story movies even is this kind of pacing you have so many characters in this movie you know with the introduction of lotso and ken and and they just managed to balance it out really, really carefully in, 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 in a way that's really, really good. I think in Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2, some of the sequences in each of the different locations is like, okay, this is, this scene's going a little too long. And, and I think this one, they keep it really tight and they keep it moving. Yeah. Um, but yes, of course, speaking about Bonnie, she has taken Woody home and she has instantly put him into uh, a tea party. Um, and there we get to meet Mr. Pricklepants and mm-hmm. Trixie, who is a uh, Triceratops, uh, hence the name Trixie, um, and Buttercup and Dolly. Uh, and also, uh, yes, no, th- those are the ones that are at the table. 
Um, you know, there's some others in the room, but we'll talk about them in a moment. It's Barney's uh, core crew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, James Bond is playing Mr. Pricklepants, uh, Timothy Dalton. Um, everyone's fourth favourite James Bond, I guess. I mean, uh, I, I'm, there were some defenders uh, of Timothy Dalton as James Bond. I The grand rankings, I think, uh, Timothy Dalton, like, he might not be everyone's favourite, but that's not his fault, right? Like, no. like, people think of Timothy Dalton very, very fondly as James Bond. They don't think of him significantly as James Bond, but very positively. Yeah. Um, of course, he he is the Welsh James Bond. Uh, Pierce Brosnan being the Irish James Bond <laughs> and Sean Connery, of course, being the Scottish James Bond. Um, so all the, the various countries from the United Kingdom have been represented with Daniel Craig finally being the English James Bond. Um, <laughs> it took a while um, for us to get to that. No, uh, and, but- and wait a second. Uh George, George Lazenby. Australian. The Australian James Bond. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so what's really missing? <laughs> uh none of them. That's it. That's it. That's everything covered. England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. That's it. That's the that's the island. So we've got well, one for me. Now you've got Australia, so it's like okay, well are, are yeah, you one of the get, colonies. Are you gonna get any of the other colonies? Uh I mean I think at this point really only Canadian would uh, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Qualify. I was like, you could maybe get but, Canadian. You could make an argument for Mike Myers being the Canadian <laughs> James Bond as Austin Powers. So, you know. Uh, yeah, obviously, Timothy Dalton at this point coming off starring in Hot Fuzz a couple of years before this. Um, you know, uh, and then Pierce Brosnan was in The World's End. So uh, it, seem, it seems like uh, Edgar Wright himself is going through old James Bonds to get them. He's, he's going to churn through them all too. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping he'll get Daniel Craig in something at some point. Um, but yeah, Timothy Dalton is kind of the main draw here. He is, you know, deliberately playing a, a you know, a toy hedgehog called Mr. Pricklepants, but playing it as a, you know, a Shakespearean actor, basically. Uh, and obviously he will do some Shakespeare later on in the film. Um, but he is the one who's kind of, ta- like, as Woody is trying to ask questions, he keeps shushing him. <laughs> and... Uh, which I just think is kind of funny, like that he he's staying in character, like that's his thing. Is like he doesn't want to break the fourth wall, you know. He wants to make sure that all the other toys are still in character. Um, you know, he's taking it very seriously. The idea of um, you know being like being played with is is kind of important to him. Um, so yeah, uh, just kind of kind of just weird that he he wants to do that, and he won't answer Woody's questions. Although you know, Trixie and Buttercup are like, look, the guy's just asking some questions. <laughs> We've got to got to let him know what's going on. The, like the, you can't... the method actor. Yeah, you can't just kind of ignore him. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Kristen Schaal, obviously wonderful. Um, uh, in this, she is not a horse; she is a triceratops, um, and she's kind of more helpful than Mister Pricklepants in kind of outlining where they are. Um, and obviously Bonnie Hunt and Jeff Garland as well as Buttercup and Dolly kind of, you know, let him know what the situation is. You're in Molly's room. Uh, we don't know if we're in a cafe in Paris or somewhere else. <laughs> like the, you know, Bonnie is not very specific with her play. She just kind of, you know, improvises a lot more than Andy. Like Andy was very kind of structured in, t- in terms of what was going on. Uh, Bonnie's just kind of making it up as she goes along. Just whatever comes into her head. Um, you know, she pulls Woody's pull cord and he says that the, the you know, the, the well has been poisoned and she's like, oh no, poisoned. And she kind of then incorporates <laughs> that into what's going on. It's, um, I, I like that 
they give like a different style and energy to Bonnie's play and then the way the toys react to it. So with this one, you know, like they are all taking it as like, okay, this is performance. This is acting. And and Mr. Pricklepants is the method actor and he's really serious. And everyone else is like, just kind of like improv actors. They're like, we just kind of go with it. You know, like you'll, you'll, you'll catch on kind of thing. And they like (laughs) expect Woody to be in the same mode for all of that he's like i don't treat this like acting what are you guys doing <laughs> yeah i also like how it, this is a direct contrast with what we saw in the opening scene like in the opening scene everything is around the idea that woody is a sheriff yes and, and so he doesn't re- know how to not play sheriff yeah. and the rest the rest of the world conforms to this wild west sheriff thing whereas here it's just like he's just another di- he's a different toy you know like and it's it's whatever bonnie wants um uh, in terms of what's happening um, Maybe that's his real issue here. He's like, wait, it's not centered on me. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't play this. I'm stop being self. I have to be typecast. Like I cannot do other <laughs> roles. Yeah. Um, so we this of course then leads us uh, conveniently, one might say, uh, to the story of uh, Lotso because Chuckles, uh, which is you know obviously a clown who is um, constantly frowning, um, he is going to get let us know what the story behind Lotso is. Uh, because obviously Woody's about to leave out the door like he they they you know uh they get on the computer and they find Andy's address they find Bonnie's address and they figure out it's not that far Woody could probably get there pretty quickly um you know because he's known for his his escapes and his you know so you know it's only a couple of blocks around the corner but as he's leaving he mentions you know the rest of the toys are at Sunnyside and this is what prompts uh Chuckles to tell the story of Lotso and you know his child which was Daisy um, and how one day they went out for a picnic and Lotso got left behind along with Big Baby um, and uh, Chuckles and by the time they finally managed to get home after walking in the rain uh, and getting completely soaked and muddy uh, we see that Lotso has been replaced because obviously Daisy's parents are good parents and if they've lost a toy and she's obviously maybe cried about it for a few hours they've just been like go to the shop and just get another one um though this looks like kind of like one of those like 50 dollar toys like i don't think lots is that cheap so um... lots does not seem like a i mean also like well so he doesn't seem like a cheap toy and any plush bear that they're mass producing is not going to be inexpensive yeah because yeah. So... a lot of you know if you can go find that specific stuffed bear like i can't think of any of our kids stuffed animals that I'd be like, oh, well, I'll go to the store and they will definitely have, or I don't know which store to go to that will definitely have a replacement for this. Like I'd have to go online to find anything specific. And there's really (laughs) only a, like a very few that I'd be able to say, oh, this is like, it's branded. I know what I'm looking for. I'd be able to find something specific. So our, we went on a vacation back in November and, uh, our son lost one of his stuffed animals at the hotel we were staying at. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been able to find, we, we've gone to like multiple different stores and we haven't haven't been able to find something like it, but I'm sure it's on Amazon or something because it has, it has a specific brand to it. But But I don't know what it was. Uh, (laughs) I know what it is. I can't remember. Oh, well, why haven't we bought one? Because you said that it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, like overall, because it's not, you know, that top level specificity, like it was 
it was a gray elephant. If, and if there's a lot of them. Yeah, I mean there. he has a bigger version of it, and, and so he's but, and he's doing all right. Yeah, but if he lost this, uh, either the Stegosaurus he has or the teddy bear that he has, the Stegosaurus I'm sure we could find. The teddy bear, I. I don't know. I don't know Some, anywhere is, this is like a specific teddy bear, and yeah, it was a cheap teddy bear that that someone gave to us at the but baby shower. That's, like, that's his number one. Yeah, that's his number one. Yeah, well, Daisy's parents—they obviously had the money, and they replaced Lotso. <laughs> they, they knew where to find it because with a brand new Lotso, and uh, which suggests that you know this is kind of early in the the life cycle of whatever this toy is. Like it suggests that this is probably a very new toy. Yeah, and so so the shelves it. are probably full. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've got like a teddy bear that I've had since I was like two. I there's no there's nowhere in the world that probably makes it still, you know. Like it's so yeah, it'd be very difficult to replace. But if you that get, makes if you get me a... wonder if Lotso is like from something. Like it, is it like like a Care Bears? Like there's a TV show that Lotso is on, and so oh. they make a specific thing. Um, like like how at Disneyland you get all the Mickey and Minnie plushes or or. I mean, like you that. can get a lots of plush yeah, you at can get Disney, a lot of and he plush. does smell like strawberries. That's it feels like it is. It's from a thing. Like it yeah, feels yeah. like it's yeah. part it's of a thing. Like, some yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly like Care Bears was what I thought of. Like that's that's the like the kind of branding. Like, like the fact that he's called Lotso Hugging. You know, like the the, the play on words. Got to be certainly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's. It feels like it's it's something like that. Like are there a bunch of other bears or animals that smell like different stuff is there is, makes it is there i mean i think that's one it, that yeah. smells like apples and yeah like a bunch of like fruity fruity teddy bears like that's that seems like a very specific kind of like toy line doesn't it so like um, a mix of strawberry shortcake and care bears <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah, we we find out his sad story. Obviously, um, you know, there's a, a you know, big baby had like a little kind of um, a heart on a chain that had um, you know, this baby belongs to Daisy on it. Um, Lotso insists that they've been replaced. When he says they, he means all three of them. But obviously, there's only a brand new Lotso in there. There's not a brand new Chuckles or a big baby. Um, and to be honest with you, those big babies, they're ten a penny. Like you know, <laughs> like. Th- I don't know what I would search for to find one, but I know I could find one anywhere. Yeah, yeah just, uh, just roughly any, like, the same generic. Thing. Yeah, with the eyes, the like the eyes that open when you tilt the head or move the head. Mm-hmm. Like those are those have been in tons of toys. You know, like those are very I, generic. I, I think it's, it's an probably, American like, Girl dolls. They have those Fisher but, Price like, babies. They there's probably Fisher something. Price. There's probably yeah. I don't know. Lots play of school. Yeah, play school. All the brands have a version. It's obvious to us that. Big Baby and Chuckles haven't been replaced. Only Lotso has. Been, yeah, Lotso, you know. Lotso is has yeah. turned. Uh, what I what I like as well is when when the toys turned up at um, Sunnyside. Uh, you know, Rex says it can't be a bad place. It's got a rainbow on the door, <laughs> which is kind of which. You know, I like that as an indication. It's like, oh yeah, there's no bad places with rainbows on doors. But when Lotso in the rain turns up at Sunnyside, obviously there's lightning strikes and everything, and it's raining, and you know it doesn't look as welcoming as it did to the to Andy's toys when they turned up in the daylight. Um, you know, it looks like a more foreboding place. And obviously, Chuckles says, you know, Lotso kind of took over and you know 
made the place more like a prison where he's the one running everything. Uh, this obviously means that Woody has to go and find his his toys and and free them from this uh, you know this existence. And so he hides in Bonnie's backpack. Um, and of course, as soon as he gets to Sunnyside, he jumps out the backpack, goes up the wall, gets into the ceiling through one of those little ceiling tiles, which I think do contain asbestos. So I'm not sure how safe it is for them to be. Uh, not any children. Oh no! Well, okay, but um, the detail to. on that tile is insane, though. So like, depending on, uh, yeah, depending on when those tiles were replaced, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I had those in my school. Yeah, and yeah, you'll see them in pretty yeah. much every building and yeah. every office building, every school building, and everything. So I think they're up to code now. Um, yeah, but but I would not be surprised that they used to be made of asbestos. I think the main place people <laughs> find asbestos now is um, is like private homes, not so much public buildings or, or or business buildings those all get expe- inspected more often i think yeah there was a certain businessman who was in a certain white building in recent times who complained about having to take all the asbestos out of his buildings because it was very expensive to do so you know he doesn't care if people get cancer uh but yeah what i did like as well that tile obviously we all know what that tile looks like we all recognize that tile the amount of detail on that tile is probably more it. than yeah. yeah, it's like than anything that was in the first two films. Like It probably took like days to render, but it's just amazing how detailed it is. That uh, tile took longer to render than the entire previous film. Or more prop- more power, more yeah. more data. Possibly, because it just it's it looks it just the we should say everything that's kind of real world in this outside of like the you know, the the people looks like the real world. Like it doesn't like there's a certain level, but it, it still looks kind of reasonably photorealistic. Um, you know, which is kind of crazy that they they've managed to get to that level in terms of uh, you know what the environments look like. Um, you know, but yeah, Woody gets into the ceiling, he gets into the vents, um, and he meets there with a chatter telephone. <laughs> um, and I love I love this this kind of like hard boiled like you know forties detective voice that they've got going on with this, mm-hmm. um, voiced by uh, a guy called uh, Teddy Newton. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think he's like a significant actor in any way, but he has just the perfect voice. And what I like about Chat Telephone is he won't talk to Woody just by talking to him. He insists he's, that he picks up the receiver to you talk. You gotta to pick him. up the phone. Yeah, because um, he is like one of those Fisher Price, and he says Fisher Price on the side, but it's like a very old logo, so he's been around there a while. Um, yeah, he's like a Fisher Price telephone, and he explains like why you can't get out of Sunnyside. Um, you know, Woody was lucky the first time because obviously no one was paying any attention to him. It's kind of a um, heist sequence where they're establishing like all the things that we have to deal with. In, but it, I guess it's the jailbreak sequence. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what I love about it is it's like there's constant patrols at night in the in the playground. Um, you know, the walls are, you know, breeze blocks. You've got to go over them. You can't go through them. And of course, then he explains that we then have the monkey. Um, who you know basically mans the? I, I'm, now here's a weird thing. Why on earth has this daycare got so many cameras? <laughs> Why has it got a bank? cameras? But yeah, not, but not for watching at night. Somehow they're just there so the monkey can yeah. do it. But I guess I mean I we have not like worked with any daycares, but it's possible that some daycares do like run camera feeds of the rooms that like parents could potentially access so they can see their kid um okay and things like that I mean, that's like my, my immediate <laughs> thought is it, it kind of like a video baby monitor 
Yeah, um, but I, this one, I don't but, think but it's going through the internet. I think this is just... This just turns into security cameras. It's like, that seems a little weird. But it goes with the <laughs> prison motif, so it's fine. But yeah, yeah. It, like I guess... I mean, we don't see a lot of direct adult supervision in the rooms. No. Well, that's it. There seems to only be the, the lady who's on reception, and that's it, pretty much, running the whole place. Um, and, and the janitor. But yeah, there's, got, there's like a bank of 16 cameras that are watching over every spot. Um, and the monkey is the one who, you know, kind of mans it. We see a few escape attempts in previous times in flashback, and the monkey basically just makes a very loud noise, um, and nobody can escape because of that. Um, and... You know, so obviously Woody, he takes all this as a challenge. Right? He's like, yeah, okay, I'll be, don't worry, I can get Woody, out of this. Woody's like, good at escapes. Yeah, he, 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 know, he knows what to do. Um, he finally meets up with the toys. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, what I like here is when Woody's kind of, you know, he comes in. Um, I think it's Ham who, who like, when they're all saying, oh, we were wrong. Um, and Ham goes, yeah, Jesse's right. She was wrong. <laughs> throwing her under the bus straight away like you know not wanting to take any responsibility again um yeah so you know they he explains the plan he says you know he kind of gathers them all we don't get to hear the plan obviously uh you know he whispers it all to them close um and then we see the plan immediately in action which you know uh like the way that it like everything is obviously kind of timed perfectly um you know uh you know slinky and woody uh, like Woody gets kind of grabs like a bag of marbles and he's on like a string and he comes down with the weight of the marbles and then grabs uh, Slinky and then kind of goes back up um, and you know Barbie goes with Ken uh, Jesse Rex and Ham uh, in prison buzz in a in a in a you know in a container you've what I like as well is distraction you've got a classic yeah. you know taking out the guard yeah, and, and like Mr. Potato Head uh, deliberately gets himself sent to the box so he can escape oh, from the sandbox. Also classic, <laughs> deliberately getting sent out to, to solitary confinement kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously we'll find out what he does uh, briefly because a, a tortilla is then thrown outside by, <laughs> by the gang. Um, and, you know, Mr. Potato Head will use that as his body. Um you know, Barbie's there with Ken. She asks for him to put on like a fashion show, all the all the different outfits he's got. Which you know, the animation on it is just perfect. Like the the kind of changes between the outfits, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he has some like lederhosen on and he's doing a little dance, and then you know, like each of the, each of the the changes. But of course, this is just a distraction again uh, because she wants to get the manual. And the way that Barbie does this is essentially by torturing Ken by tearing up his clothes and. <laughs> Um, Again, yeah, first... a question about the strength of these toys. Yes, <laughs> she's just like ripping the seams out. Yeah, she Those, like rips like, the pants I, in two without I don't think any. Effort. I could tear. Barbie clothes are hard to destroy with your hands. Yeah, like I don't think yeah. I could by my by my hands just tear the seams at yeah. the shoulders of these. Well, they're, they're meant to be built to withstand children. Again, yeah. I, I, this is something that struck me when all the kids were going nuts and playing with all the toys earlier. Uh, why wasn't Jesse like torn to pieces? Um, like, yeah, she's not you know, built for that that no. kind of play. <laughs> no, at, like all it took in the last film was for for Andy to barely tug on Woody's arm for it to come out of its socket. So uh, I'm not. I'm. I would. Uh, I would. It would have been funny if Jesse would have just been torn to pieces and would have been ended up as like fluff in the air. You know, but yeah. So each too, of the each of the much. toys is <laughs> each of the toys are playing their roles uh, to distract various different people. And 
Uh, what I like as well is once um, uh, Buzz is put inside like this container, he does obviously he thinks his laser is a laser, so he draws a circle with his laser and goes to. Run I love that it. moment. <laughs> Just knocks himself out. Um, yeah, uh, and and so you know we we kind of we kind of get it as like the you know the you know the, the uh, Mr. Potato runs into a pigeon who basically tears his tortilla into three pieces, mm. and he kind of slinks down the window. Gotta um, find something you know, else. Yeah, well, well, once once the toys get hold of Buzz as well, because he he escapes out of his container when the toys are distracted by Woody coming in, and then they kind of jump on top of him. Now they've got the manual, and they try to reset him, but it just doesn't work. Um, nobody suggests just taking out the batteries and putting them back in. Uh, I don't know if that would destroy Buzz's memories, and he would never remember who he was. <laughs> but um, they 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 you know if that's his life. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, his batteries have got to be changed every so often, anyway. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I got would it. Think that his yeah. batteries have been changed in the last ten years. Yeah, so just pop out his batteries, and that will reset him. But you know, they don't do that. Instead, they hold the reset button, uh, but they hold it for a little too long. And uh, Tim Allen exits the film for roughly half an hour as we get <laughs> Spanish Buzz, um, uh, played by Javier Fernandez Pena. Um, and I mean, uh, you know. Uh, Tim Allen, obviously, in real life, is not a very nice person. So it's nice to have him out of the film so we can actually uh, love Buzz once more as his Spanish is... This entire Spanish Buzz thing is hilarious. I love... I mean, it's like a masterstroke to have him be reset but in a slightly different way Um, because Mm -hmm. there's only so far you can go with the factory reset Buzz before it starts to get a bit tiresome. Uh, Although, obviously, him him not knowing anyone's names and referring to people as, you know, as, like, you know, pig guy and stuff like that, that is funny. Um, and you know, well-groomed man for Ken. Like those, those are those are funny things. But there's only so much you can get out of that character before it starts to get a bit tedious. So I like that they decided that a Spanish Buzz would be the answer to that. Um, and a Spanish Buzz who is deeply in love with Jesse the instant he sees her, and and um, like very romantic, very, I, like I guess flamboyant is the right term for yeah. you know, like the way he approaches this. He's doing the dancing around her constantly. <laughs> yes and and obviously she doesn't quite understand what's going on but she she doesn't not like it you know she's she's interested in what's happening um obviously at the end of the previous film there was a hint that there was you know a, a kind of a crush between the two of them um and so yeah you know we we get the kind of the escape kind of works you know the uh, Mr. Potato Head emerges, and he is now Mr. Cucumber Head. <laughs> and, um, I I like that his wife is like all like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what Mr. Potato Head is. Mrs. Potato Head always loves him, and you know it's one of my favorite things about this film is the the kind of the interaction, um, you know, be- between uh, you know Don Rickles and Estelle Harris as this as this couple. Like she's always in love with him, no matter what. Uh, you know, even if he is like a cucumber now, like she still finds positives. And I, I kind of like that that's like a theme between the two of them. And the same in the previous film, like, you know, he didn't want to go, you know, to rescue Woody because it meant he would be away from Mrs. Potato Head. And, you know, they're they're deeply in love. And, you know, I like that that's that's kind of like their, their kind of defining characteristic, um, you know, but he gets his old body back and he's back to back to being just Mr. Potato Head again. Um, and, you know, the toys have to try and cross. But Big Baby is sitting on the swing. Um, and so, of course, uh, Woody and uh, the aliens have to kind of crouch down behind something. Uh, they go for their old trick of hiding underneath the bucket. Um, and they finally manage to get up the wall. Uh, and we find that we, they get into the dump, like the, the kind of chute that takes them down to the dumpster. 
Uh, but of course, it is shut and nobody's got enough strength to kind of open it. Again, they had strength before to tear up clothes, but now they can't <laughs> even open a thing. But uh, this gives this gives an opportunity to for, for Spanish Buzz to demonstrate how he can like spin up to the, the, the top of the thing and then hook his feet underneath and then pull down the thing. And he just says in Spanish, it is open. Uh, and I just love I <laughs> I just I mean, it was just a fun. And obviously this impresses Jesse as well. Um <laughs> You know, but yeah. So everybody manages to go. Like Woody decides that he's going to go down this chute first to see that it's safe. Um, he gets down to the bottom and he says, "Yes, it's safe, uh, but don't all come down all at once." Which, of course, uh, Ham mishears as everybody all at once, and so they all come, come at once. Yeah, and they nearly knock him off. And obviously, Woody once again is like in that position of like balancing on the edge of something and being pulled back in. Um, but of course, we find out that um, you know, chatter telephone has been broken. Um, you know, oh, he's been, man. yeah, he, he's given away the plan to the, you know, obviously he was the one who kind of told everybody how to get out, and so the plan has been given away. Um, and so you know, he he's he's told Lotso, and Lotso has obviously recruited uh, Big Baby, and uh, you know, all, all the other bad guys. Yeah, yeah, the the octopus is is in the shoot, you know, gradually pushing them out into the into the bin. And we find out that Lotto feels that, you know, everyone is basically, you know, they're, they're just, they're going to end up in the trash eventually. You know, they're going to end up unloved and thrown away, um, you know, obviously based on his own story. Uh, Woody uh, tries to convince him that that is not correct. And, you know, um, but, you know, and he does this by getting out the, you know, big baby's uh, heart um, and throwing it over to him. And big baby sees, you know, this belongs to Daisy and, you know. Obviously has second thoughts. Lotso then smashes it up with his cane, <laughs> uh, which does not make Big Baby happy. Um, quite frankly, these are the kinds I don't know of moments could... where I wonder why Disney went all in on like producing Lotso plushes to sell. <laughs> I was like, but he's yeah. like he's like the worst villain. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and, and it's ca- really weird that they sell. I'm sure thousands of them constantly, but I'm like. Why? I mean, I, like, I, I don't want to buy one. I guess kids maybe think they can change him. Maybe they think we can they can turn him into the good guy. Maybe that's, that's the the motivation. That's a toxic. Uh, I think it's probably also because everyone's like, "Wait, it's a strawberry smelling bear." Like, I but it smells like strawberries. Like, yeah, yeah, but that, that I mean that kind of distracts everybody that he smells like strawberries. People people are impressed with him being smelling like strawberries when they first meet him. I uh, feel Ken's... like I'd have a lot of hesitation. <laughs> I agree. Ken, Ken suggests that maybe the sunny side could be a groovy place if people get along with each other. So, of course, uh, lots of rewards him by throwing him over to Barbie. Of course, Ken is in his boxes that have hearts on, um, you know, which is what he was. He was tied. I don't know how he got free, quite frankly, because Barbie had tied him up pretty tightly um, mm-hmm. to like a paddle. So uh, I think yeah. somebody must have gone and found him. They might. They, they obviously, yeah. When when chat telephone was broken, obviously he must have given this away. Um, and yeah, so you know, Ken is now with the toys, uh, reunited with Barbie. Uh, Big Baby is angry uh, at the at the the kind of the the little heart shaped locket getting smashed up. So he <laughs> throws Lotso into a dumpster, and the dumpster closes, and everyone thinks, yes, the film is over. 
Still got half an hour to go, but (laughs) yeah. Uh, 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 Lotso manages to lunge out and grab Woody and pull him into the dumpster. And uh, this is just as the the garbage truck arrives and the dumpster is being pulled up. And so the rest of the toys jump onto the side of the dumpster to try and rescue Woody. And of course, they all get dumped into the rubbish inside the dumpster. And as they're riding along, uh, Buzz's uh, glow-in-the-dark feature is activated. uh, So everyone can see what's going on. Um, I don't think... Any glow-in-the-dark toy has ever been that bright. Um, you know, <laughs> most glow-in-the-dark things that I've ever had, you've had to hold them like under a light for like three or four hours, and then you turn off the light <laughs> and it glows for about three minutes, and then it's gone. Um, so, but you know, we'll accept it in this universe that uh, that Buzz is illuminating everyone. Uh, they gradually all kind of get together, and then they get dumped out at the uh, at the dump, and. Um, the, the three the three eyed aliens see a claw in the distance, and obviously they are always drawn to a claw, um, mm. as they were earlier in the toy room when they saw a truck with a claw on the back, and they just followed it. And so, if, as they run off towards the claw, they get swept away. And Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are obviously devastated that their children have been taken from them. Um, but Woody is trying to gather everyone together. There's, but there's then no they, time to mourn. We're all in no. danger. Yeah, and so they kind of they all kind of get grabbed up and pushed into this thing where they're heading towards the crusher um but slinky dog flies into the air because obviously above it is a magnet to pull out any metal this sequence Um, is really effective like as they go like beat to beat to beat to beat as as things change and transition and you know they have a, a new threat and everything like it builds up in a fantastic way that that pulls everyone in and they solved the problem so quickly as well like as soon as they see see slinky dog get pulled up into the magnet all of them like grab something metal and they they all like instantly i like that um is it ham that's in like the pot that flies up and he's like sitting on the side of it because he can't <laughs> like, grab yeah so yeah so he finds a way to do it and rex is obviously struggling to grab stuff because he's got tiny little arms um, but then he kind of gets grabbed up with a fan um and yeah so they're you know they're all going towards the crusher um and uh is this where lotso is stuck or is he yeah. stuck? yes yeah so yeah. so lotso's stuck yeah. underneath everyone's gone up but lotso's stuck underneath what the yeah. the cl- golf clubs Go- golf clubs i think yeah um, and then yeah there's a, oh, a whole drops. golf bag that's all <laughs> <thrown> away <laughs> yeah um and so woody lets go of his metal thing and drops down to pick lotso up um, and they see that there is like a stop button, um, and you know, lots of like, I'll go and push the stop button. Yeah. So, um, you, so, so you guys get me out, get yeah, me over. I, I will do that. And of um, course, once once he gets up there, he he goes. He says, he says to Woody, "Where's your kid now, Sheriff?" <laughs> like, the worst villain. In he's these awful. Like, yikes! <laughs> this guy is bad. Yeah. Um, so Woody obviously manages to escape, like you know, being crushed. Um, you know, they end up on the other side of the crusher, which is obviously, you know, um, crushing all the different things down into pellets and obviously sorting the metal so, out because the metal yeah, can be recycled. It's crushing it all into pellets, sorting the metal yeah. out, everything else just getting incinerated. <laughs> well, which, you can't recycle it, I don't think. I think it's crushing stuff that can't be recycled. The metal you can recycle, can't you? You can make some money off this. Yeah, unless unless they were able to filter out, you know, plastic bottles and stuff, which I think, yeah, yeah they're just taking this as the non-recyclable... Um, yeah. contents i just don't i guess the crushing process is is so that it helps loosen up the metal and yes. and gets more yeah. of the metal out for the magnet but, but i was also, gonna say I, I i don't know why they need to crush everything else up if it's just incinerating 
But there was a there was a blue recycling box as well earlier in the film. So yeah, was a, yeah so this was is a hit. A... stuff is being sorted. So this is the un, this is the non recyclable stuff that goes to landfill basically. Um, Depending on where you are in the U.S., you it's... may or may not have a lot of recycling options available. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this fictional town, they they have recycling bins, and so they have recycling. We're going to count yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the process, the first part of the process has finished. Lotso has escaped. And uh, the rest of the toys have dropped back down onto the kind of crushed up pellets. Um, and this is where Rex says, I can, you know, I can see daylight. And Woody realizes that isn't daylight. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there is a there is a saying that sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is just a train that is coming towards you. Um <laughs> And that is what is happening here. This is not a good situation for them to be in. And, you know, Woody kind of realizes what it is, but there's no escape. Like, there's no, there's nothing for them to climb up. There's no way for them to get out of it. You know, they've no longer got the metal they were holding onto the magnet with. And so they are now on this gigantic pile of crushed up little things that are heading towards uh, an incinerator. Um, and they all are trying to get out. They're trying to run up the, you know, back up these bits. But obviously, because of the way they're shifting, they're getting no purchase and they're not going to be able to get out of there. And, you know, they do this for about a minute before eventually they gradually all start to realize that there is no escape. And, um, you know, is it is it Buzz, the first one, like holds Jesse's hand and that's the, and then Jesse stops Bullseye. Um, oh, and we should mention in this process that, that yeah. Buzz got hit with a tv and became regular buzz again oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he yeah he he didn't know where he was he could just smell garbage uh but yeah he is he is re- he's back to being regular buzz but i don't think he's really done anything in this sequence other than follow along no um, no he's since he's been regular yeah buzz, he's like, doing the same thing as everybody yeah and so uh each of the toys uh with wood i'm um, woody kind of almost being the last one they realized that there is no escape and um, they accept their fate. They are basically going to be melted, and uh, this is the end. Uh, interestingly, earlier Lotto said, "You know, everybody ends up as landfill," and this is it. This is true. They are they are going to end up as landfill. Um, although I would say some of them still have metal parts in them. They probably would have been, you know, still been able to get out using the magnets. But you know, they've accepted their fate, um, and they are all about to die. Um, and for a few for a few seconds, we have to face that as an audience. Um, before, of course, they are rescued by the claw, and the lighting changes, and a gigantic claw comes above them. And don't ask us how, because again, we don't know the strength of these toys. It doesn't really make any <laughs> sense. But the three little aliens are operating the claw that rescues everybody else in this one grab. Uh, a lucky grab, I would say, for them to manage to get everybody in one go. Like there's nobody yeah, left behind. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, but obviously this is one of the scenes that people talked about this film being extremely kind of like devastating, like the fact that these toys have realized their fate and they are just going to allow themselves to die rather than the constant struggle to get back to Wendy is kind of over. They're like, this is it. Like, there's no there's nothing left to do but just accept the fate, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that is obviously something very kind of deep to put. I mean, considering the, the first film, like the main conflict was like a kid has got some toys uh, and now here we are in an incinerator where we've, you know, got the moral question of whether or not these toys are going to die. Feels like we've come a long way in the last kind of 15 years in terms of this franchise. Yeah. Yeah, I think this sequence is, is I, fantastic. I was a, a wreck in the theater watching this sequence for the first time. And every time I watch it, I like I still, sometimes I cry and sometimes I just get teared up. But like, it is... 
it it, it, it hits you, especially if you grew up with this. It, mm-hmm. Like, it, it hits you hard. Well, and I, I do have to say, there's no voice acting in this sequence as they're coming to the realization, which is weird because like the voice actors have, have been have been great in this it's like but i don't know maybe some of the best acting that woody does in the entire thing doesn't actually <laughs> require any tom hanks yeah I as, just, he, as just... he just looks and he realizes and he holds hands yeah just like and also like the close-ups on each of the hands like you know um even like rex and ham like you know generally not people who have hands you know still kind of touching each other to to kind of say that they're together in this moment um but yeah again don't ask me how the aliens did it they're three little tiny squeaky toys that are, have got basically no weight they're just air they mostly em. yeah but <laughs> they somehow managed to operate uh the handles and then we immediately are outside where they, you know they've been dumped back out and everyone is relieved that they're still alive um and you know they want to go after lotso but woody's like no leave it alone like you know he escaped that's it like uh, but he didn't escape uh, because we see him struggling to get out of the uh, the dump and he is picked up by one of the garbage men drivers who drives with Sid. Uh, not Sid himself, though. And he is stuck onto the front of the garbage truck along with a bunch of other guys. And <laughs> one of them says, you might want to close your mouth. Um, so that is, I mean, I don't know if that's a lot. Like, I feel like Lotso's getting off easy, like just being stuck mm-hmm. in the front of the garbage truck. But I guess, you know, He's obviously going to degrade even further over the years. Yeah, yeah. O- over time, he's probably going to fall apart. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a rough ending for Lotso. Um, but because, obviously, we saw earlier in the film, Sid, from the first film, is a garbage man, and he delivers to his old neighbor. Uh, the toys are like, we can get back even to Andy Even though they don't quick. live next to each other anymore. <laughs> like, this I mean, is they Andy's in- new house. They live in this small town that is large enough to have its own international airport. Um, well, yeah, so... the, the what, Tri-County <laughs> area, the Tri-City yeah. area. Uh, yeah, so, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think the kind of the use of Sid as well, obviously wearing the same kind of t-shirt he was wearing 10 years ago, um, I think that's just a nice touch for the fans. Like, you know, we see that Sid kind of, you know, he's got a good job. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a well-paying job. Waste management to... is, is a legitimate career. Yeah. 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 He's, he's you know, probably by the time we get to the next film, he's he's probably, you know, made enough money to buy a couple of houses and maybe start renting them out to people and, you know, get into real estate or something. Like, Sid is on the right track. And we have to believe that being scared as a child of some toys that talked has probably been the thing that set him straight. Do, um, do I assume that Sid has you know gone deeply into into his educational career or you know producing music or anything no but he's he's taking care of himself and can certainly take care of a family and he seems yeah. happy i mean he was jamming out and he oh. just seems mm-hmm. he seems happy yeah I just hope yeah, he's he... not torturing toys anymore that's the only thing that we don't know it's like did he really change <laughs> Well, he it looked like he was enjoying his job. And so, you know, well done, Sid Phillips, for getting your life together and also being helpful in that the toys recognize you and know that your garbage <laughs> truck is going to go past Andy's house. Uh, so that you're helpful for that. It's worth saying as well, you know, the it was voiced by the same kid, Eric Von Detten. Um, you know, he'd been he'd been doing, um, you know, a number of. Um, uh, he, like yeah, he, he he like since Toy Story, he'd done a number of voices in other films. Yeah, he did um, some some acting. 
Yeah, uh, and this is his. This is his final. Like he's effectively retired after Toy Story three. This is his last role. Um, you know, he he hasn't. He, like he did a lot of TV, but he you know he hasn't done any films since this. He hasn't done any TV really since like two thousand nine. Uh, like an episode of Family Guy was the last thing he he acted in. Um, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's married to a, a real estate agent. They've got a daughter and a son, and you know. <laughs> Eric von Detten seems to have got his life together in the same way that Sid I, did. Yeah, so. I'm just going to assume that that's the the same life that Sid has. Yeah, you know, we're we're happy for Sid and his progress. <laughs> um, you know, but as I said, he's a helpful indicator because back home they go. <laughs> I mean, the escape is you know from after we've been in the incinerator, the escape to get back to Andy's is pretty quick. Like mm-hmm. it's like instantly they're on a garbage truck, they're back. Uh, you know, they run upstairs to get into the box. We, we got to get to the next big emotional beat. They're just yeah. moving it along. <laughs> yeah. Woody uh, writes a little post-it note, giving Molly's address and puts it on the box that is going to go into the attic. But obviously there's been some discussion, you know, about whether or not it should actually be donated. And, um, you know, the toys, they, they kind of get into the box. They say goodbye to Woody because obviously Woody is getting into the college box. Um, you know, and he's happy to see the toys in the box and he sees the note and Woody, I, this is where Woody kind of jumps into the box himself, doesn't he? In between, mm-hmm. like Andy realizing, and he obviously goes and drives up to Molly, and uh, you know, he he sees her, and he he. he it's gonna make me cry. He goes. <laughs> know, it's gonna make this me cry too. Like, ah, we yeah. gotta talk about this, but it's like ah. Yeah, no, this is this is gonna. Yeah, this is going to be hard for for me to get through. But yeah, he he basically gives the backstory on all of the toys to Molly as he takes them out of the box one by one, and explains, uh, you know, who they are and what they do. Um, and obviously, Molly is going to disregard all of this because <laughs> because she she, she plays she, her own way. Yeah, she does not she does not play to the rules that Andy plays. Um, and of course, this is the very last toy that is in the box. Uh, which for somehow uh, Andy has not spotted until this moment uh, is Woody, and of course, um, yeah, Bunny recognizes Bunny recognizes him uh, because she literally was in possession of him like not two days ago. <laughs> so yeah, um, and she says, you know, there's a snake in my boot, and obviously she goes to grab him, and Andy pulls Woody away from her, not wanting her to have Woody. Obviously, this is the one toy that he wants to keep, wants to take to college, and then he explains, you know, who Woody is. Uh, in a speech that I cannot repeat because I will literally be trying to say it. For for a kid that they did not keep the contact information for, he crushes this monologue with the toys and talking about them. And for like anyone who's ever had, you know, a meaningful toy, it's like, man, this is this is stuff. And 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 I mean, if this is what the writing credit is for. I mean, maybe the most deserved writing credit in animation film history for writing out, you know, this sequence and this speech and everything, you know, like, this is one of those things like, okay, it does pay to get a professional writer to make this work the way that it works and to get, and, 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 and you get the right performance for it. It's like, that's, that's the good stuff. Now, Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. 
and so he you know they play together for a little bit uh, in as in a montage and then andy leaves and tom hanks the best tom I hanks a little bit it. here yeah tom hanks says so long partner as he leaves oh oh gosh and then we tilt up to the clouds uh, which are identical to the clouds that we saw at the start of the first film um and then everyone starts crying, uh, as, I, <laughs> as I am trying not to do right this moment. Guess, I've already saw it. actually crying in this moment. <laughs> I, like, throughout this whole discussion, this one, out of all the Toy Story films, is, like, maybe the least Tom Hanks-centric. Um, even though yeah. it's, it's very, like, Woody and Andy relationship-focused. Like, there's a lot of that. But it's the one that I think of Tom Hanks the least, yes. like, throughout the film. But then you get this last bit, and you're like, Man, he like he he's earning it all with that, with that yeah. last line. Yeah, and and yeah. so you do get this moment where it's like, ah, oh, Tom Hanks, you you nailed it, you nailed it with this yeah. last moment. Um, if like if he hadn't said anything else for the whole movie, you get this moment. And you're like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> what a performance. Yeah, yeah, and uh, fortunately, while we're all sitting in the cinema crying our eyes out. Uh, they do give us some end credit stuff uh, mm. where we see that the soldiers have been <laughs> floating around <laughs> the whole film, basically, and they finally land, and they kind of... I, what I love about the soldiers is as they land, they start packing up their parachutes because they've arrived at Sunnyside and Ken is there to greet them. Um, and we find out, obviously, that Ken and Barbie are in charge and to communicate with the toys, they are passing notes back and forth in Bonnie's backpack um, and obviously Ken is the one that is writing them despite the fact that the handwriting apparently uh, they think is Barbie's um, it's, it's very feminine handwriting <laughs> yeah which you know but uh, you know, what's funny is there are a few times throughout the film where the people take digs at Ken for being a girl's toy and <laughs> you know kind of like an accessory and stuff like the, you know the, 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 this kind of shots at him but Ken is you know he's the, he's the only kind of real you know he's kind of torn about his, his loyalties to Lotto you know he's the only real kind of good hearted toy that was left in there um, you know so it's nice that he kind of ends up in charge um, and obviously we also see that the toys being played with uh, in Bonnie's room um, we interestingly one of we have like these peas in a pod um I don't know what this toy is. I don't know why anyone make, would make this as a toy. Some some peas in a little pod that you zip up. Um, but they find their way inside Mr. Potato Head and start pushing out his parts from inside, uh, which leads him to say, you know, I've told you peas to stay out of my butt. Um, but one of the peas in the pod is voiced by Charlie Bright, who in this film does the young, the voice of young Andy earlier in the film. Um, so he's kind of got like two roles in here. Um, and we skipped over it, but I should also say that Richard Kind, uh, George Clooney's best friend, um, uh, plays the role of bookworm, which is like a little tiny like worm who is in charge of all the books, uh, you know. And obviously, uh, Richard Kind always always a delight in everything, uh, you know. Such a wonderful actor, um, and he, you know, he's only in a couple of scenes and only has a few lines, but he really kind of this exasperated worm that's kind of sick of people asking him for stuff is kind of funny. He finds the manual for Buzz, of course. Um, and speaking of Buzz, uh, in the toy room, Buzz is a hit because he is. Um, uh, you know, he's with Jesse, although he's not 100% sure how this is happening because we get a Spanish version of You've Got a Friend in Me by the Gypsy Kings and something comes over him and he begins dancing. Um, and, you know, that is how we basically finish the film is with them doing an elaborate dance sequence to the Spanish version of You've Got a Friend in Me. Um, 
but yeah, and, well, so, and, and and with with Ken and Barbie's leadership, Sunnyside is oh yeah, a better yeah, we, pace yeah. for everybody. Yeah, they, they yeah. take massages, turns and, they take turns and recover and everything. Yeah. yeah, they've 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 put something in place so that the toys don't end up you know having to be completely destroyed and uh, you know they kind of tag in and out you know when when they get lost under stuff. Um, yeah, so they've they've made the place they've made Sunnyside a better place. Um, but uh, yeah, and that, and that's where the film ends. Um, you know, Andy has driven off into the sunset, and the toys are in a new home, and uh, you know Bonnie seems to enjoy playing with them. So, you know, hopefully that will turn out well. Um, I should say something that we skipped over, but uh, there was some backstage, uh, you know, shenanigans going on. Uh, obviously, after the last film, there had been a bit of kind of uh, you know some issues in terms of doing sequels. And Disney set up an entire studio called Circle 7 Animation, which was going to do a whole bunch of sequels to Pixar films <laughs> without Pixar's uh, approval. And they were going to have a whole thing where um, Buzz Lightyear was recalled. Uh, that was their Toy Story 3 story. And they they got deep into it. They had a whole script writ- written. They'd started, um, you know, they started to animate some of it. Um, they had like a whole kind of pitch thing going on. Um, and it was only really, you know, like things were basically kind of getting very contentious, um, you know, between Pixar and um, and Disney over this whole thing uh, until in January 2006, Disney just bought out Pixar and it all kind of went away. But I, Circle 7 Animation is a, a, a fascinating studio because effectively it was set up. They spent hundreds of millions on this studio and it never made a single thing <laughs> that, that ever came out. Um, Weird. Yeah, and and I I I also don't I don't think that the story of like Buzz Lightyear being recalled would have been that interesting like as like a sequel, uh, like yeah yeah. I mean, obviously, we've said in the previous two films like the the first film kind of has a story that is around Buzz, um, but you know it's mostly about Woody, and then the second film again, there's a lot of stuff around Woody and Buzz kind of has a smaller role, so I don't know that putting Buzz at the center of the third film. And having it be about. And also, I don't understand what a recall is in terms of like Buzz Lightyear. Why would they recall that toy? Like, if there's you know. like some sort of toxic ingredient in the plastic or something, yeah. I think that's the that's the kind of scenario you could get. Or, I mean, you could have something yeah. with a faulty element, but I don't think that would happen with a toy the way it does with a with a car. Yeah, it, it just ends up with this weird idea of like, so this toy that Andy's probably had for like five or six years has been killing him in some way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if it's radioactive, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, like I, it just it feels like there was like a an that's odd why idea, he glows but... so bright. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well that explains that now. But yeah, so. You know, they, yeah, they'd started on it and then they, you know, spent hundreds of millions and then they kind of, uh, you know, they they worked it out in terms of, you know, just by purchasing uh, Pixar. And then obviously, you know, the main kind of cast of people came in and kind of pitched a completely different idea, which obviously ends up becoming this Toy Story 3. Um, so, Good call. Yeah, I just find, yes, I find, definitely. I find it fascinating. I think that's the right decision. I find it fascinating that, that that Disney set up like an entire studio out of spite to try <laughs> to try and... Um, you know, try and kind of get some sequels out there. Like it's it just it's so insane that they they kind of like did that, um, and then like nothing came of it. Um, yeah, it does seem yeah. quite odd. Yeah, I mean, they also had apparently uh, Monsters Inc. Two and a Finding Nemo two in development oh. um, when they were set up. 
um, and, and then obviously things were resolved pretty quickly and they just kind of uh, there were 100, 136 people working at the studio <laughs> um, that were all transferred across to Walt Disney Feature Animation. Uh, I was going to say, then, at some point, they they probably transitioned into one of the two animation studios that Disney's running at that point. Never mind yeah. all of the, the TV cartoons and the um, additional Toon stuff. The Disney Studios, which handled all the Disney animation sequels. Oh, yeah, so there's, there's plenty of... There's plenty of work for animators. Yeah. So it, it doesn't end up being a total loss, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I I think most of them transferred over to uh, to WDA and then started working on the Princess and the Frog and uh, and Tangled. Mm. So you know, but it's just such a weird thing for a studio to do to be like, yeah, we're going to make a sequel and we don't care how we get it made. <laughs> so here we go. Here's a, and to prove it, we're going to set up a completely separate studio. Um, so uh, there you have it. Uh, I feel we can go to the the rankings, but I think it's going to be fairly obvious. You know, T Hanks or no T Hanks? I I think I know where everyone stands on this, yeah, but I think a, we have to say it's a T Hanks on it's this one. A T Hanks, <laughs> and this is where the franchise Hanks. ends. Yeah, for for <laughs> our purposes, the perfect ending to a, a wonderful three film series trilogy. Yes, that's it. There's nothing else except some wonderfully charming shorts shorts um, the like, shorts are like, great like toy story te- yes. uh, the toy story that time forgot and yeah um and those little things those are wonderful charming little shorts that um have no bearing on the uh the final destinations of the toys it's just fun stories about how the toys keep playing with bonnie <laughs> uh and that's how it goes everybody that's okay. how that's how the toy story franchise continues and ends is this film and a couple of shorts, right? Yeah, I'm, I mean, for you, that is correct. And obviously, I'd say T hangs from me as well. But uh, yeah, there, I mean, you know, there is at least one more uh, revisit to this franchise that I will have to discuss at least. Yeah, I, you'll, uh, you'll notice we're, we're not, yeah, we we're, not we're, we're not signed up for that one. Uh, I know yeah. there are people out there who do like Toy Story 4. It's I hate us. it so much. <laughs> Like, so much. Like, we watched it, and Kestra was getting angry. She was getting frustrated. Like, she had to let off some steam after we watched it. So, this, it's not the recording experience no. that you want. No. <laughs> I mean, that's been the recording experience that I had with the Da Vinci Code and uh, Angel and <laughs> Moon, so... <laughs> yeah. So, no, this is, yeah, I, yeah, this I was is gonna say, my favorite. Yeah, this is where you finish with the franchise um as guests mm-hmm. which is fine it's been great having you on these episodes so <laughs> thank you i uh, think i think this is my favorite toy story film i think it's i agree i think it's it's yeah. perfect it doesn't work without the previous two so it can't stand on its own but if you have the other two in place then like this is and this is amazing toy story 2 i think i get the most nostalgia from it because i was like you remember I, it. I remember like seeing it and and stuff, but um, yeah, Toy Story three I think is my favorite, and um, I I love this this ending, even as it makes me sob as we're talking about it and not even uh, not not even watching not it even again. watching it, and um, I, I I love Toy Story three uh, a lot. Um, well, it, funny enough, as we record this today, it is exactly twenty two years ago on this date that I saw Toy Story two at the cinema. um so this is the anniversary so it feels right to record uh, this particular episode on this day um but yeah no it is uh, like 
you know, the the fact that one critic decided to mess up the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes is annoying because this film is probably, you know, the other two films are probably less than 100% when you compare them to Toy Story 3 because yeah. just in terms of the animation, there's a whole, like, when, when Buzz is being recruited by Lotso, the lighting, like, it's this kind of, this kind of blue that kind of, I just wouldn't have been possible in the first two films. Like the way that they, they, the kind of the lighting interacts and stuff is, is kind of amazing. Um, And that's something obviously that they come on, you know, leaps and bounds. Uh, Not least, I think helped by the fact that Roger Deakins um, did some of the stuff for Wall-E where he, where they they kind of like lit practical models. And then he kind of, he was like the cinematographer for that. And I think they've taken some of the lessons from, you know, the previous couple of films, which were Wall-E and up. You know, and then applied them to this film in terms of the the way that they did things. And yeah, there's some scenes in this where like it everything just looks so amazing. Um, you know, and then also the plot, like you say, they're balancing so many different elements all at once and jumping between different locations. And you know, you have Woody's storyline going on separate to the rest of the toys, and then it kind of cuts in and out. And then obviously you've got Bonnie coming in and out of it, and then obviously Andy's there at the beginning and the end. And like, there's lots of different stories that they're balancing more than they did in like. You know, Toy Story one and two, which was simple, you know, rescue missions basically. <laughs> like toys kept getting lost and getting rescued, and in this, the toys have to essentially rescue themselves, and it's a completely different. You know, just the the whole setup, and it just even when the telephone is explaining the whole layout and how you can't escape, and because you know, like the the whole all of that is, is in any other film, you know, would be a brilliant sequence, but it's just one of many in this 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 whole film, which is you know probably uh, you know I. Not a film I can rewatch many times because I don't like spending half of my days crying, um, you know. So, and as I said before, we recorded it took like half an hour for my eyeballs to stop hurting from me crying <laughs> at the final scene of this. And then, you know, kind of like even talking about it, it's very difficult to kind of not, uh, you know, start feeling sad about like the toys being left, um, you know, given to a person who's going to play with them. But still, you know, their journey with Andy is over, um, you know, and that's you know that's kind of sad. Um, but thank you to both of you for being my guests uh, on this and the t- previous uh, Toy Story episodes. Thanks for having us. Uh, and is there anything that you wish to plug before we go? Uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials is our main regular podcast. And so if you, you check that out, um, that'd be the best place to find find more of us. It's part of the Dueling Genre Network, which has a whole bunch of other podcasts that you might be interested in. If you're If you're listening to in-depth breakdowns of of any movies then dueling genre has um a lot of those kinds of things a lot of a lot of pop culture topics like that yeah and you can find us at the awkwardly named t underscore ft memory on twitter uh, i think we can all agree that out of the toy story films this one takes the crown but the next film is going to be a larry crown <laughs> Hay un amigo en mí, un buen amigo en mí, hay un amigo en mí.